Hello and welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. This is Monster Kid Radio and I am your writer, host, and producer Derek M. Cook. And this music that you're hearing right now, this comes to us courtesy of the band Polo Del Mar. It is from their album Speed of Dark, which actually will be coming out, well, as of this recording, tomorrow. You can find them over at Polo Del Mar Surf. .bandcamp.com or go straight to their website polosurf.com and that's P-O-L-L-O surf.com This is a really cool song. Their album is going to be released in full tomorrow. I'm really looking forward to uh, the rest of the songs on the album. I haven't even heard the whole thing yet, uh, but this song I really dig and it's the title track from the album. Please check them out and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio when you're done listening to this episode. And there's a lot to do in this episode. I'm really excited because we've got a recording from the recent Fan Expo Portland where I was fortunate enough to be part of Authors Alley and a guest and a panelist and a presenter. We did a live recording of Monster Kid Radio. And when I say we, it wasn't just me. It was a couple of old friends, David Heath and D.B. Spitzer, a couple of guys that you've heard on the podcast in various forms over the years, whether it's been as an actual guest or maybe appearing on a spin-off podcast or maybe even a recording from an HP Lovecraft Film Festival. They're also podcasters themselves, the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Well, they took some time out of their busy convention weekend to join me for a live recording of Monster Kid Radio, and I brought out a topic that I've used before, but it's always a fun conversation with different people. The topic classic genre films for modern audiences. Of course, I brought some of my favorites, but DB and David brought some of theirs as well, and it was just a really fun time. A little bit of an abbreviated Q&A at the end as well, so we're going to get to that too. Also in this week's episode of Monster Kid Radio, Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland, and he wanted in on the fun. He wasn't at the convention, but he wanted in on the fun, so he put together one of his favorite classic genre films for modern audiences. And of course, he Put a bunch of trailers in there too, which is just awesome because I love that stuff. Also, Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review. We are now in the midst of Return of Ultraman goodness. So he's going to present that as well here in a second. But first, I have an email. This came in from friend of the show, Brian Clark, and he writes, Derek, catching up on my backlogged podcast and just got to the Monster Kid Radio Mothra episode. So jealous he got to see that in 35mm on the big screen. It was great to hear how much Beth enjoyed it. You mentioned on our Gamma vs. Gauss episode that you thought it might be a good entry point for her into the world of Kaiju, and you were right on the money. It's a beautiful film and one of my favorites of the Showa era. As for your digging into Doctor Who, I suspect you'll find the most to enjoy in the classic episodes. A family friend introduced me to the show on PBS when I was around 6 years old, so the only thing I've loved longer than Doctor Who is Godzilla! The stories have much more room to breathe on this serialized format. Anything written by Bob Holmes or Taron Stix is gold. The budgets were a pittance, but that never stopped them from letting their imaginations run wild. The can-do attitude of creating entire worlds with pocket change, no matter how shoddy some of them looked, is one of the things I love most about the show. If ever Monster Kid Radio does a Who-related episode not involving the Cushing films, I would gladly lend my voice to the conversation. Likewise, the potential kaiju theme month coming up. All the best, Brian Clark. So, uh, a couple of things here. 
Uh, since I've received this email, actually, Brian was one of the guys I was kind of looking at for joining us in Kai July, and he will be joining us in Kai July, so that'll be happening. As far as the Doctor Who-themed episode goes, uh, I haven't said anything yet. I just recently scheduled a handful of recordings for upcoming episodes of Monster Kid Radio, and I may be about booked at this point. So, uh, as a side note, anybody who reached out to me regarding my recent post on Facebook saying I need to book some things, please know that I appreciate it, and I'll probably be reaching out again, but I think I have enough to carry me through the wedding that's coming up in exactly one month from now, 30 days from now. So, I, I've got enough wind up and ready to roll but if i do a who month you know i'll put the call out for sure for sure i just don't know when that's going to happen you know looking at stills and you know, video clips on youtube and that sort of thing of classic dark Who, the aesthetic looks right up my alley i mean i love that stuff so much i love that retro low budget diy do it by any means necessary approach i love it so much it's actually something i'm going to be talking about in an upcoming YouTube video over at the Team Death YouTube channel, part of my new YouTube series called Monster Kid X. I'll talk about that a little bit more at the end of the show, so stay tuned for that. But anyway, I love that DIY aesthetic. I just love it so much. And it looks like I'll probably get into some classic Doctor Who, although Beth did show me a clip from a more recent Doctor Who, a Capaldi episode, where he's giving a speech or a monologue about war, and it was... Oh, so affecting and so, so good. Beth did really enjoy Mothra. So did Matt and his family. I had a really good time showing Mothra and sharing that experience with her. And you know what? Fathom Events is doing a Godzilla screening on March 22nd. Godzilla Tokyo SOS is going to be screening on March 22nd. Select theaters. Go to fathomevents.com to check it out. Hashtag not sponsored. I talked to her about that this afternoon, and it looks like she may be down for that as well, which would be fantastic. I would love to share that with her, and just having these experiences with her where she gets to watch some of these movies and these subgenres that are so important to me, it's just been a real thrill, and she seems to be enjoying it, and, and that's just been awesome as well. So, yeah, uh, we'll hear more Beth in the future, whether we're talking about Godzilla, Tokyo, SOS, here on the podcast, over on our Team Death YouTube channel, or who knows where else, you'll hear more Beth. And of course, you know, she's going to be part of my life officially in 30 days. She hasn't figured out that she can still say no. So uh, yeah, you'll be hearing a lot of her in the future. <laughs> Brian Clark, thank you for writing in. And if you want to be cool like Brian, please email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com and I'll include your email on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. You can even call in and leave us a voicemail at 360-524-2484. Normally when people write in, I don't give their last name, but Brian's been on the show in the past. Plus, Brian, as well as a number of other friends and just associates and just people that I really appreciate the work they do, have all been honored with a nomination at the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. The ballot is live now. Go to RondoAward.com and you'll be able to review the entire ballot. And there are categories for everything from Best Film, Best TV, Best Blu-ray, Best Commentary, Best Blu-ray Extra, Best Podcast, Best Short Film, Documentary, Books, all sorts of cool stuff. Go check out that ballot. Now it's dense. There's a lot of stuff there, okay? Do not feel overwhelmed. You do not have to vote in every category. However... I would recommend checking out every category because 
This ballot does two things. One, it helps determine the winners of the Rondo Hatton Plastic Four Awards, which is awesome. But two, it's a checklist of all the coolest stuff that happened last year. So all the really cool classic horror stuff or horror stuff that might speak to monster kids that happened last year is represented on this list. I'm looking at the best magazine of 2022, and there's easily 15 different magazines listed here, some of which I've never even heard of. So, yeah, I mean, that's awesome. Magazines that I will go check out. You know, books, articles that have appeared in different magazines, articles that I've never heard of before or didn't read or skipped for whatever reason. I can't wait to check some of those articles out as well. And, you know, you got awesome magazine covers and columns to look at. There's just a lot of really cool stuff on here. And like I said, best podcast. And I would be remiss if I did not mention that Monster Kid Radio is nominated yet again for best podcast at the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. An honor that I am deeply appreciative of. Now, Monster Kid Radio has consistently been listed on the ballot. We have consistently been nominated. And once, we won. I don't know if we can win again or not. I would love to win again or not. I'd love to have a tag team partner for my existing singular Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Award. We'll get to that in a second as well. I would love to have a, a tag team partner. So, please, if you feel so moved, vote for Monster Kid Radio for best podcast. But really, in the end, I would really recommend you check out all the different podcasts that are listed here on the ballot. Some you may know. Some you may have heard of. Like the Diecast Movie Podcast with Steve Turret. Terror at Collinwood, you know, Benny Dreadful's uh, Dark Shadows podcast, the Ray Harryhausen podcast, the Nashy cast. You know, there's a whole bunch of shows on here. The B-Movie cast is on here. God, just some really good stuff. The Classic Horrors Club is on here. So many friends. And I always feel kind of weird asking for votes for Monster Kid Radio when I have so many of my other friends listed on here as being nominated as well, like Bill Watch's Movies. Or any of these other ones on here, man. I know I'm probably skipping a few as well. Oh, Ben for Horror, you know, I just became friends, an uh, in person friend with S.A. Bradley of Fan Expo Portland. He was there and, you know, we talked podcasting a little bit. It's just so cool to see so many podcasts getting recognized on this ballot by the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards because these podcasts, while a lot of them are not strictly classic horror podcasts, or Monster Kids-centric, specific, traditionally podcast. They all have the vibe of what things like Famous Monsters of Filmland represented back in the day when it was a current product, if that makes sense. So please go check out RondoAward.com. Plus, you can check out the Classic Horror Film Board at ClassicHorrorFilmBoard.com. This is a traditional message board. You have to register to speak on it and that sort of thing. But this is where the Rondo Awards get discussed, as well as so many other topics. So go check that out as well, and just make sure you let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Now, I did say a second ago that I would love a tag team partner for my existing Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Award. Some of you may be scratching your head right now saying, huh, wait a minute, Derek, you won Best Podcast, but a couple of years ago, you were inducted into the Monster Kid Hall of Fame, and that is true. But I never got that award. Uh... This was something that happened before the pandemic, before conventions started shutting down for a little while, and before my finances changed, preventing me from going to any conventions where I might be able to pick up that award in person. So on the off chance that David is listening, David's the man behind the Rondo Awards, um, my address will be changing as I move into my future wife's home 
let me know if I need to get the new mailing address to you, or... I don't know, I, I wouldn't mind arriving before the wedding. That'd be cool to be an awesome wedding gift. Anyway, uh, seriously though, it's a huge honor to be nominated for the Rondos. I appreciate it. I appreciate whoever has spoken for Monster Kid Radio over the Classic Horror Film Board over the years, and just I appreciate all of your support. All right. Let's go ahead and get into the rest of the show. I'll talk a little bit more about Team Death and everything else at the very end. But first, we have those segments that I talked about. Let's kick things off with Mark Matsky's Beta Pops Review right after this. Ichiro's legs flew into the air. His tiger-striped board sailed over his head, and a wall of blue water crashed down on him, trying to crush the air out of his lungs. For a moment, he found himself head down in the water column, with a surge of the wave pushing him toward the azure depths below. Somehow, he managed to hold on to the GoPro during the wipeout, but now the camera clenched in his fist kept him from easily righting himself. As he writhed in the deep, a dark shape loomed up out of the blue. In Monster Shark on a Nude Beach, a shy marine biologist must up his game and stop a series of shark attacks at the Caribbean's most famous clothing-optional playground. Award-winning author Stephen D. Sullivan brings you this sexy, action-packed summer read, perfect for fans of The Meg and Jaws. Read three chapters free on Amazon. Find out more at buffbeach.com or sdsullivan.com. Night has fallen, and the time has come to experience Terror at Collinwood, a podcast dedicated to the iconic gothic television series Dark Shadows. Terror at Collinwood explores the hidden secrets within the sinister walls of the Collins estate. Hosted by two-time Rondo Award-winning television horror hostess Penny Dreadful, the podcast features interviews and in-depth discussions with fans and creators as they examine the cursed characters and supernatural storylines of that creepy classic, Dark Shadows. Beware the night and the restless dead who wail on Widow's Hill, and prepare yourself for Terror at Collinwood, a Dark Shadows podcast. Available at terroratcollinwood.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, Seance, The I Ching, or wherever you get your scary podcasts. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Return of Ultraman, Episode 5, Two Giant Monsters Attack Tokyo, broadcast April 30th, 1971. While walking by a construction site, Jiro and his friends discover a large object covered in fossils that looks suspiciously like an egg. The boy calls his friend Go, who comes to investigate with fellow monster attack team member Kishida. Thanks to his connection with Ultraman, Go can hear a heartbeat emanating from the object, but saying something might raise eyebrows, so he remains quiet as Kishida debunks the object as nothing but a rock. Kishida is not pleased with Go's suggestion that the matter may have warranted further study, making an issue of the disagreement back at headquarters. 
When Monster Gudon appears from a nearby hillside, Go and Kishida are sent to launch a bomb from the MAT arrow. But at the last moment, Go defies Kishida's order to fire because he spots a child in harm's way. Gudon escapes, and the situation between the two members escalates, resulting in a three-day suspension for Go and tension within the team. With three days to kill, Go tries to re-examine the egg, but it's in the process of being buried. He then declines to accompany Aki to the shopping center, but regrets his decision when an earthquake traps her and friends in the subway, and while trying to free them, Go is summoned back to MAT headquarters, where he learns of a plan handed down from above to bomb the monster, despite the chance of civilian casualties, which would likely include Aki. Incensed, Go tenders his immediate resignation and returns to try to free Aki with the aid of sympathetic MAT members. Their dig, however, is interrupted by the hatching of the egg and the rampage of Kaiju Twin Tail. Two Giant Monsters Attack Tokyo is the first of a two-part story arc written by Shozo Uehara, who is responsible for the first seven episodes of the series and 20 in total, including the finale. In the five episodes so far, Uehara has established a great deal of drama within the Monster Attack team and a multi-layered hero in Hideki Go. On another note, episode 5 ends in spectacular fashion with a beautifully staged final fight with each shot carefully framed and lit as if by sunset, with Ultraman and the imaginatively designed twin tail grappling their way to a genuine cliffhanger. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. Whitewood, Massachusetts. A young girl, a stranger, has come to Whitewood to do research. She has come, she thinks, to study. Leave Whitewood. Leave Whitewood tonight. I beg of you. Leave before it is too late. In spite of this warning, the girl lingers on. The guests are over three hundred years old. Human blood keeps them alive forever.
Science fiction has never imagined so strange or terrifying a story as that of the village of Midwich, England, cut off from life as we know it by some mysterious force. And later, at one and the same time, a child was born to every woman in the village. Children that grew to look like this. Beautiful youngsters behind whose fiery, hypnotic eyes lurked the demon forces of another world. They're not human. They ought to be destroyed. Forces put to such sinister use that it became a national emergency. We are gathered here as advisors, as scientists, as government experts. Have we established anything about the origins of these children? There is a possibility of the transmission of energy. Let me get this straight. You imply that these children may be the result of impulses directed towards us from somewhere in the universe. What we need is time to investigate. Are you aware of life on another planet? Why are you so nervous when an aircraft flies above you? Until recently, we haven't been able to make our control reach as far as a high aircraft. Oh, now you have, is that it? Today, their control reaches out into space. Tomorrow, will it girdle the globe? There's nothing you can do to stop us. Leave us alone. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. When I knew we were going to hear the convention panel on classic genre films for modern audiences, I thought about what film I would talk about if I was on that panel. It was easy. My choice would be The Black Cat, with its devil worship, necrophilia, and skinning alive, all elements that would shock and thrill even today. FM published a film book on The Black Cat several times, and I covered that article when we took a closer look at FM 67. Today, I have a brief mention of The Black Cat, which was featured in FM 134 from May of 1977 in an article about the Karloff-Lugosi pairings. Let's hear what it had to say about this timeless classic. The Black Cat, Universal 1934. Logic has no place in The Black Cat, but who cares? The film is a classic in all departments. Excellently acted, artistically directed, originally designed, pleasingly paced, etc., etc., etc. Edgar G. Ulmer's direction is particularly interesting. His camera swirls down stairways, hovers over chessboards, highlights statuettes and stairwells. Ulmer also directed Bluebeard, 1944, but later his talents were wasted on such forgettable films as Daughter of Dr. Jekyll and Beyond the Time Barrier. Kudos should also go to art director Charles, Bride of Frankenstein, Hall. Fort Maramos is a well-lit, futuristic, architecturally intriguing edifice. A striking contrast to the usual cobwebbed, rat-infested horror movie house. Universal took great care in making Karloff and Lugosi's roles as nearly equal as possible, despite the fact that Karloff was definitely the number one horror star. The film features performances that number among their best. Karloff's Polsek is secretive, calculating, totally evil. Lugosi's Verdegast is more high-strung and sympathetic, but he still exudes an air of menace. Verdegaff suffers from feline phobia, which allowed Universal to justify their use of the Poe title. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios.
And the same incredible terror that's menacing me will strike at you! No, no, you've got to get out of here! Wait! They come from another world, spawned in the light years of space, unleashed to take over the bodies and souls of the people of our planet bringing a new dimension in terror to the giant super-scope screen. It's whatever intelligence or instinct it is that can govern the forming of human flesh and blood out of thin air is fantastically powerful, beyond any comprehension. A cursed, dreadful, malevolent thing was happening to those he loved. This isn't just an ordinary body, is it? I never saw one like it. It looks... Unused. The sensational star discovery of the view from Poppy's head. And now an undreamed of horror makes her life and love a vortex of fear. Jack! Miles, where did they come from? I don't know. Suddenly, while you're asleep, they'll absorb your minds, your memories. I don't want any part of it. You're forgetting something, Miles. What's that? You have no choice. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spreads. As the unimaginable becomes real, the impossible becomes true. Stop and listen! Stop and listen to me! Listen! Listen! Listen to me! They're not human! That's a superstition. Now, there you are wrong. The power of darkness is more than just a superstition. It is a living force which can be tapped at any given moment of the night. Why? On one night of one year, should these people live in mortal fear? My God! The goat of Mendes. The devil himself. Christopher Lee as Derichelieu, who knows he must fight the devil's power to the death. Oh my God. Don't look at the eyes, Rex. Eyes. Eyes. Once filled with love, are consumed with fear. For Tanith is now promised to the devil. Listen carefully to what I say. This is Makata, the devil's chief disciple. Your will is leaving you, slipping away. The devil rides out from bestseller author Dennis Wheatley's famous novel fills the screen with a special kind of visual terror. All of you, quickly! Back to back, join hands! You will hear his evil. You will feel his evil. 
you will see his evil. If we once catch sight of his face, This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. You guys having a good time at the con so far? Yeah? Right on. So, I don't know if anybody else is going to trickle in. Doesn't matter if they do, though, because you guys are here and that makes you my favorite. So, uh, welcome. Uh, my name is Derek M. Cook, and I'm the writer, producer, and creator of the uh, Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Award-winning podcast, Monster Kid Radio, where we talk about classic and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear every single week. I've been doing it for about eight and a half years now. We just released episode 608 last night slash early this morning, depending on how fast your computers are uh, <laughs> and how fast your internet connection is. Uh, I love it, and I love talking classic monster movies with people on my podcast, in person, and on panels like this. Uh, David Heath to my right, TV Spitzer on my left, have appeared on my podcast in various uh, episodes in the past, and uh, they're joining me today. So you guys want to introduce yourself, and then I'll get back to introduce myself and the rest of the show. Uh, my name is David Heath, and I go by Farmer David or Farmer Dave on uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, where I am a co-host. I am D.B. Spitzer, a writer, podcaster, uh I host with David Heath, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, which is a weekly show about the Cthulhu Mythos. Uh, currently, this bit we're talking about Cthulhu Mythos and movies, uh, horror movies, and yeah, we've got over a thousand episodes. Yeah, you guys have been going for a while. Yeah. <laughs> You've done everything from just conversations about Cthulhu stuff role-playing games to readings and, yes. and things like that. So it's 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 a really well-produced show, and uh, I, I recommend it. Despite my attempts to destroy it, I actually do live on a working farm. So in the middle, every once in a while, a rooster or a goat will make these noises, So most of which DB edits out. But. You know, you keep those in there, and you just say it's like an old one trying to communicate or something. You know, <laughs> it would keep it being theme. It would work. Yeah. You know. Anyway, so on Monster Kid Radio, what we do is we talk about classic monster movies all the time. Um, everything from your Draculas, your Mummies, your Wolfmans, your Frankensteins, to like the not-so-classic stuff, like Manos the Hands of Fate, uh, or the Creeping Unknown, or the Creeping Terror, excuse me, or the so-called so-bad-it's-good type monster movies. I don't really like that label, and I know I think one of you might be using it today, David. Um, because really, if you enjoy the movie, it doesn't matter how good or bad it is. If you like it, you like it. It's a good movie. It didn't waste your time. You're entertained. There you go. Uh, what we, I was hoping we could talk about today a little bit uh, are some of the classic monster movies that might be relevant to modern audiences. 
you know, classic monster movies that modern listeners or viewers might enjoy. And I, I've got a list of three, and I asked these two guys to come up with a couple as well. And, you know, just a couple of suggestions for some classic monster movies. Maybe you've not seen them before, or maybe you've written them off after having seen them or not. Maybe you look at them with fresh eyes, or maybe you're just looking for a laugh. So uh, I, I don't want to steal the show with my list because I've got guests and I want to be polite. So you two fight it out and tell me who wants to go first. <laughs> Oh, okay, let's go alphabetical. Alphabetical. But you're both D's. Yes. I'm a D. <laughs> so one of the movies, one of the things I thought, you know, if we want to get, people want to see classic movies. First of all, if they are into, into, you watch horror movies because of CGI and blood, they're probably not going to be movies for you. But if you wanted to watch a movie, because they don't make movies like that anymore. I have a suggestion, and we have a friend who actually I just interviewed on the show, who this is his favorite movie. And if you want to see a movie that they did not make any more like this, it's Horror Express. It's uh, 1970-something, right? Two, I believe. 72? 71. And, and I almost didn't choose this, but I figure 50 years old is this classic movie. and. It's basically the thing on a train set in Tsarist Russia. And one of the things that it just goes off the rails. It's just completely yeah, crazy movie. <laughs> but one of the things that I like the most about it is um, Peter Cushing and uh, uh, Christopher Lee's relationship. And you've got to understand, too, that when they filmed this, I think it was, it was um, Christopher Lee's wife had just died, right? Uh, Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing, excuse yeah. me. And he didn't want to do it, but he agreed to do it with Lee. And he stayed at Lee's home. And he would wake up screaming at night because he just lost, you know, the, the person that he loved the most. And Lee would sleep with him in the same bed. N nothing that he wanted to be there for his friend. It, his friend needed him at any moment. And even though they're rival characters, that chemistry between them, it just oozes through the movie. Even if you don't know that story, if you know that story, it's even more. But if you don't know that story, it, you just, the chemistry is just unbelievable. Then you have Telly Savalas playing a Cossack. And this is a movie where, you know, these monsters, this alien monster from beyond the space is here. Let's get the authorities. The authorities make things worse. Uh, so I don't know if there's a way to really describe this movie other than you've got to see it. And it's got half the dialogue, I understand, is ad-libbed. Especially some of Savalas' stuff where like there's a, a priest that's turning himself over to the alien and they're afraid they'll shoot him in the way. And Telly Savalas says, no, we're Russians. We've got enough priests. Don't worry. I mean, the ad living. <laughs> there's another thing where they say, "Well, we think you're, we think that you're an alien monster." You go, we can't be alien monsters. We're English. Yeah. I mean, it's just like I said, it's a to be seen movie. Or Express is good, yes. really good. You want to take one? All right. I believe uh, 1953, Robot Monster. <laughs> Okay. It's not a movie that's so bad it's good. It's 
It's a movie that was the result of what they had to work with. Uh, not, not, not the greatest script. It was. I, I, I like. I like the movie Robot Monster. Um, maybe not the greatest actors. And like, like everyone was like, "Well, you've been blacklisted." Uh, the we think we're, we're un, you know, we don't want to hire you because you're foreign, and this person has this problem. That they're hireable for this, uh, this, this robot monster movie, and it's it's like they don't have quite like a proper monster kind of say. They have a robot helmet, and or they have a space helmet and an ape suit, and somehow it works. Um, and somehow it doesn't. And the special effects was a bubble-blowing machine. It was meant to be in 3D. It was in 3D. It was originally in 3D. It's coming out on Blu-ray later this year in 3D, because that's the world we live in now. Yes. <laughs> Somebody but, thought, let's remaster that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Vinegar Syndrome? Uh, it was a Kickstarter campaign. Oh. I don't know who did it. Okay. Yeah. Um, but Robot Monster is one of those films. It's like... If you see the monster from it, it's kind of like this hyper-real um, symbol for, like, kind of bad, trashy movie. The, the gorilla with the television or the, 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 the space helmet on with the antennas coming out. And it's, it's an image that we've all seen a lot uh, throughout different media. Taco Bell used to, you go there, there'd be pictures of Mothman, Werewolf, and that monster. Okay. I've always thought it'd be cool to cosplay as Robot Monster, you know, or, or Roman as he's Roman. I can, but I cannot. I must. Yeah, the dialogue is stilted and crazy. It's, yes. It's basically a child's fever dream. The, the, the story itself is, is yeah. yeah. Spoiler alert for a movie that's over 70 years old. I think it's fair to say that there's going to be some spoilers here. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's my movie, Robot Monster. So we're going to go from, from the thing on a train to... Robot Monster to a movie that I think a lot of people do respect and people have seen and people like it and, and all that. But I think it deserves another look, especially now in the day and age of a new Star Trek, right? We've got all this new stuff happening, Picard, Strange New Worlds, you know, this huge push for more Star Trek. Well, I say let's look back. What's the year on that? 1956, a movie called Forbidden Planet. So good. Uh, it feels like proto-Star Trek. It stars, of all people, Leslie Nielsen as your starship captain, or in this case, a commander, Commander Adams. Uh, it is basically a Star Trek episode, uh, except it's not on the Enterprise. It's on a retro-looking spaceship, and it's awesome. Uh, they go to a planet. They explore what's going on. There's some ancient alien civilization stuff happening. There's a great, iconic robot. Uh, in, in the movie. The music is just bizarre, electronic or whatever. When you actually see the big monster, it's hand-drawn animation from the Disney Studios. Uh, it's just a trip to look at, and you gotta know, Gene Roddenberry saw that movie at least once. You have to, because he, he, he said so, I'm sure. The, the way the crew is structured, the, the way the, the people interact with each other from the crew, from the ship, it feels like you're watching something set on a starship. And it's fantastic. Plus, the lead female does wear an incredibly short skirt. Again, Star Trek. And you know, it's very, very good. 
So I, I would really put The Forbidden Planet up there on that list of movies to consider looking at. If you've not watched a lot of classic cinema, but you're into Star Trek, give Forbidden Planet a chance. It's so great. Uh, and again, it's Leslie Nielsen. We all know him nowadays as like the naked gun guy, right? Yeah. But before all that, he was doing serious drama, and in some cases, serious genre drama. And this is one of them. So... You're, you're going to completely uh, kind of whiplash us here, aren't you? Yes. So, <laughs> I legitimately believe So Bad It's Good is legitimate. Now you're fired. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, I'm going to talk about the ultimate So Bad It's Good movie, Plan 9 from Outer Space. So, here, here's a question for you, though. <laughs> what do you think Plan 9 from Outer Space's Rotten Tomato rating is? Well, I accidentally saw what you have written on your paper, so I'm not going to answer. Oh. <laughs> 29%? 66%. Whoa! 66 And the part I love the most about Plan 9 from Outer Space is this guy. For people that are watching this on their podcast, I have a copy of Criswell Predicts. So Criswell is best known as the narrator for Plan 9 from Outer Space. And... In fact, when you did nine by nine, you know, I begged to let him let me do the first part because I wanted to cover Criswell. So he was in my and he's a couple he's older than I was, but he broadcast in the LA greater Mar greater LA market, which is when I grew up with. And he had his psychic show. And he did have a couple of predictions. Ronald Reagan would become governor governor, John F. Kennedy would be shot. But according to this book, he has 87% uh, success rate. Well, if you put 0.87, it's probably closer. Things that he predicted was that Mae West would become president of the United States because the Americans would rally around her space program and that she would, she and Liberace's brother would pilot a spaceship to the moon. George? Sorry. <laughs> yes. And also, um, that cosmic rays would come out of space and hit Denver and it would melt all the many amusement parks in Denver and people would die on the, the uh, roller coasters there. But one of his most classic lines, first of all, I assumed that this was classic, you know, Ed Wood writing. No. Criswell wrote that whole minute and a half intro himself. He threw out Ed Wood's version. So somewhere is this something that was even worse than this. And he has this classic line is that most people are interested in the future because that's where we're going to live our rest of our lives. I thought he or Wood made that up, but he actually stole that from 1939, or if not stole it from, he copied it from the General Motors exhibit, or maybe simultaneously came up with it, at the 1939 World Fair, that they did a movie and a ride, basically talking about the cars of the future. And it just goes there. He keeps saying that this is in the future. Then he says it's in the past. And so it's worth it just to watch that intro. And, and the, you know, the aliens who use curtains for doors and this complete lack of gun control on the set where this guy's spinning his gun around while he's giving a dialogue, or Tor Johnson getting stuck trying to come out of a grave. That's just the icy on the top. 
Okay, I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, the one I want to talk about, I'm not quite sure what year it comes out, but uh, it, it, it terrified a lot of people. Um, and it's based off of technological horror. Um, train enter station. I'm kidding. <laughs> I was, I'm joking about the, 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 the that movie. Was, that was like the first movie. It took me a while to get okay. it. freaked people out. Okay. Yeah, okay. Took, 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 like, I'm tired, man. I, I'm dragging. Day, day and night. Yeah. Uh, the movie I wanted to talk about next, I also found out that Dave wants to talk about next. Oh, okay. Go so, ahead. and it's, 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 a, it's like one of the few movies that I can talk about forever, and that is Night of the Living Dead. Yes. And I think we could have just done a whole panel on Night of the Living Dead, honestly. I'll pitch that for next time. Sure, sure, all right. <laughs> but Night of the Living Dead, an amazing film, not, not a huge budgeted film. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit better put together than um, Robot Monster, just a little bit, just a little bit. Um, <laughs> You know, George A. Romero did with what he had and the folks at uh, Layton Image and all that fun stuff. Um, you know, a film made by people living in a house with no running water for weeks at a time. Um, but also, also just like really kind of creating the whole zombie ghoul genre as we know it now. As we know it. As we know it now. Yeah. I'm going to... You know, getting to stuff with Bela Lugosi and uh, White Zombie and all that kind of fun stuff. But it really kind of creates this... I am. Oh, good. Uh, this concept of of the unstoppable killer in, in some way. And it's not even one unstoppable killer. It's society mm -hmm. is the unstoppable killer. And you really don't have any way to get a... Get, it, you're either a part of it or you're against it, and I don't know. It's 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 a movie that it's 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 uh, symbolizes communism, or it symbolizes racism, or it symbolizes whatever George A. Romero says it symbolizes at the time. Yeah. And do you want me to jump into this? Go one? for it, man. Yeah, so, Go for it. So absolutely, this is as onion of a movie, mm -hmm. and I think it is so that you keep deep diving in it, and. I'm obviously a reincarnated anthropology professor because this is the way I look at it. But, um, you know, it was 1969, right? When it first came out? 68. 68. Yeah. What was the Americans watching on their TV at that time? Vietnam. Vietnam and civil rights. Yes. And all of a sudden, the war was no longer over there. Mm -hmm. And so they did not invent, you're right, invented the modern zombie movie. But there was a zombie movie phase uh, before, and it was based on a book, and it is written by William Seabrook. Mm -hmm. William Seabrook was one of the first people to go around the world and travel and write exotic stories, and he has a book called Magic Island, which is uh, his adventures in Haiti, where he claims chapter seven is where he claims to have seen a zombie. Now, he doesn't think that, that he's very up, it's not magic. He believes that these were people that were basically 
psychologically so abused that they could not react and that that's how the plantation owners controlled them. But this book caught fire. I mean, it became a big seller in 1929 and in the 30s. And it started a lot of zombie movies. White Zombie, I Walk With Zombies, Magic Island was made into a movie. But up until this point, zombies aren't, there are scientific zombies. Lovecraft's Reanimator, uh, I Am Legend, but they're, 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 they're magic, they're voodoo zombies. And Romero just takes that and throws it out. Yes. And it's important, it's not a chemical in the first one. They're not sure. It's the radiation from the satellite. It's mm -hmm. the Americans that are bringing this back. It's no longer, zombies are no longer stories where colonialism is kind of the good thing. Romero is throwing it in America's face and saying, you guys are getting what you've been giving to other countries. Before I launched Monster Kid Radio, I used to do a zombie movie podcast, and I would argue with people all the time about how Romero, Uncle Romero, like we used to call him, or Uncle George on the show back then, um, did create the modern zombie. But for 30-plus years, there was white, you mentioned a few, white zombie, I walk with the zombie, revolt of the zombies, revenge of the zombies, uh, plague of the zombies from Hammer in 66, which I'm still convinced if... Night of the Living Dead hadn't happened, Hammer would have made more zombie movies. But Night of the Living Dead happened, and it really kind of changed the, the subgenre forever. And, and I'd say for both better and worse. I still love my classic, ooh, spooky zombies, but Night of the Living Dead really did change everything. And one thing, though, and like I said, it's like an onion, but one thing I love about that is they can't get messages out but they can get messages in. And so it starts with the radio, and they're thinking, you know, stay in your house, we're not sure what it is. It's, and then it jumps to TV, and they start getting the full story. So they can't even escape the outside world. They're trapped, the, the isolation is that they can't send messages out. It's a great film. Well, it's one of my absolute favorites. Mm -hmm. I, oh, yeah. If you haven't seen Night of Living Dead, you. I don't know who you are. <laughs> it's a classic. And, yeah. you know, I think one thing about the movies that we're talking about here, and I know sometimes, like you bring up Robot Monster or Plan 9, yes, it's easy to look at some of these things and say, ha, 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 look how fake it is, look how cheap it is or corny it is. Um, but for me, it's so much more enjoyable to look at these things in the context in which they were released. Mm -hmm. and, and when you see Night of Living Dead, sure, maybe out of context, there are some things to kind of chuckle about or giggle about, but really, there's so much more to it than that. That that should have been on my list, and it's not. It's such a great film. So, one last thing we throw on there. Of that. course. Why it's in public domain. Oh, yeah. So that's the other reason why Night of Living Dead, I think, is so important, yeah. is because it slipped into the public domain, because copyright law was different back when it first came out. Mm -hmm which meant that it got shown on every TV station at some point. Every VHS company that wanted to put out a bargain basement VHS tape, yeah. it ended up on there. It ended up on 50-pack DVD releases. It, it's all over the place. Now, because it's in the public domain, because when it got released, Night of the Living Dead wasn't the original title. It was called, what, Night of Anubis? Uh, it was? Night, Night of the Flesh Eater? Night of the Flesh Eaters was the one that they had the original, was the original title. Yeah. yeah. And when it got put into distribution, 
the distributor changed the title card and forgot to put the copyright symbol on it. And at that time, that was required for something to be in copyright. It got out, and George Romero never made a dime off that movie. Yeah. <laughs> or anybody else, despite John Russo's best efforts. And so it was literally public domain from day one. Yeah. Now that doesn't happen now. No, it cannot happen now. Um, but because of that, so many people saw it, and it really, I feel, led to so many people yeah. wanting to make zombie movies yep. because look at this thing that I just saw for free. I want to do that. Yeah. And it really kind of led to its... And this, in this case, for the better, popularity, because it really yeah. deserves to be seen. Uh, the Criterion release is gorgeous. Oh. The Criterion release is amazing. Good to know. So, uh, The 20th anniversary edition with the stuff added into it is one of the worst things I've ever seen. Uh, John Russo tried to uh, capitalize. And, you know, good for him. He's a filmmaker. He's an artist. He wants to make money off his hard work. He shot some extra footage with Bill Heinzman, the original first zombie we see in the movie. Uh, Debbie Rashawn shows up at the end as like a reporter. There's a new side story added about an escaped convict that may or may not be the reason why there's zombies. I mean, it's it's a mess. I I try not to get too negative on my podcast, but it's it's not one I'd ever go back and watch again. No, no. It's but overall, Night of the Living Dead I think is very important for horror, very important for film, and very kind of. Uh, important kind of as this, this like export like uh, you know zombies it's a uh, it's an American export like rock and roll and blue jeans but not no, really it's Haitian yeah yeah well you know yeah I almost feel bad talking about any other movies other than because night is such a classic but I'm gonna mention one mm-hmm. I'm gonna ask you to bear with me here a little bit okay um, first of all I want to point out that normally on every episode of Monster Kid Radio where I do a top three or top five list or whatever I always find a way to bring up Creature from the Black Lagoon because it's my favorite film of all time. Yes. It didn't happen this time um, because I talk about it all the time. But if you haven't seen Creature, see Creature. It's, it's the best. I'm going to recommend a movie from 1958 directed by Paul Landris. It is a vampire story that starts over in, I believe, somewhere in Eastern Europe. Uh, there's a group of vampire hunters chasing after Dracula. And Dracula gets away and ends up in America. But it's, it's at its core, the movie's called The Return of Dracula. And at its core, it's Dracula trying to escape and thrive in America. There's some ham-fisted stuff going on regarding like this identity that Dracula takes on. He, he kills somebody on a train and takes their identity and is now trying to pass as a Czechoslovakian painter. Um, so there's, there's some ham-fisted stuff about, you know, immigrants maybe happening underneath the scene. I don't know. It's, it's, it's stretch, I know. But, uh, but uh, Francis Lutterer plays Dracula in that. He has reportedly not been very kind about his time talking about being involved with that film. Um, but I think he did a really good job. Uh, and, again, it's, it's a monster hunter story. You don't get those kinds of stories in the 50s. You know, where you've got this group of folks who are not led by Peter Cushing, you know, <laughs> trying to stop a vampire. And, you know, he crosses the, the ocean to do it. And uh, I really enjoy The Return of Dracula. Plus, it's got some great music, music that uh, has been used in other horror movies over the years, including a bit that was used in The Shining. Uh, the composer for the film is Gerald Freed, who unfortunately just passed away yesterday. Uh, he is probably best known for doing a lot of original Star Trek 
Um, he didn't do the opening theme for Star Trek, but he did the Amok Time, the, 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 the Vulcan fight. You know, the, so he, you, you know, I say it, I'm sure you can hear it in your head. Um, he just passed away yesterday, but he did the music in The Return of Dracula. Um, and like I said, Francis Letterer is just a really interesting, interesting Dracula. I, I'm fascinated by all the different portrayals of Dracula from over the years. I'm Tame Bela. I think Bela was the best, but I love Christopher Lee and a few of the others as well. Um, but Francis Letterer, um, it gets real creepy because he, he comes into this small town. He meets the Mayberry family, Mayberry. <laughs> and I, I don't know what the timeline is between this film and the Andrew Griffith show is, but he meets the Mayberry family that he is supposedly related to. But then he starts getting really creepy with the woman who would be the niece of the person that he took over, he took the response, uh, the identity of. And it gets kind of uncomfortable, which makes it effectively scary today, I think. And there's another reason why I would mention this film. Uh, it is a black and white film. There is one shot in color towards the end of the movie. It's kind of like a shock kind of, ha, ah, we can do blood, see, uh, moment. Um, but it's just a really neat take on the vampire hunter and that's that's my takeaway from that movie but there's other cool stuff happening in, in it as well so that's that's the only other one that i really want to mention because again i don't want to go down the creature rabbit hole or creature hole which oh god that sounds awful <laughs> do you have either one of you have anything else so i am so let's say you're interested in horror movies and you heard a lot of good things about classic horror movies, but you're not sure you're gonna like it. So I would say something that is new. Came out last October, that if you wanna get your toes wet, it would be Werewolf by Night. Oh, hmm. that's a good call, man. I have one good idea a day. Yeah. <laughs> is this it? Is this, this is it. Werewolf by Night was uh, an MCU. Yeah. Uh, special presentation on the Disney Channel uh, based on the uh, characters from Marvel Comics. Yeah. Uh, well, 1970s, right? Is where Werewolf by Night came from? Uh, late 60s or 70s. Late 60s? I'm not sure. I can't remember the timeline. Oh, that's a really good call because even the opening of that movie or that special presentation feels like an old school Universal film. It, the, the lighting, the color, everything. And it also has one of my favorite Marvel C-list superheroines, and that would be Elsa Bloodsoe. Speaking of monster hunters, yes. <laughs> so if if you're thinking, well, I'm not, I like modern stuff, I like modern eye. That's a good hybrid. That's a really good call. Something I hadn't considered. All right, uh, my final one is kind of a different one. It's it's more of taking a film that already exists, applying a few conditions to it and then turning it, a 1984 comedy, into a uh, cosmic horror film. It's simple. You desaturate your television, you put the language on German, and then you put Ghostbusters in. <laughs> it, it comes off almost like Quartermass in the Pit or uh, the, the, the Dunwich Horror. It's, it's these people who... You know, the, the humor doesn't quite come through. Bill Murray's character comes off more as a sex pest than like, I'm the charismatic guy of the group. And like, it's deadly serious and it's black and white. The people who directed the film, designed the sets and everything, they're from older Hollywood. So everything 
looks really good. If you uh, imagine the top of um, the Shandor building, or no, that's, I, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, the top of the building and the very end with all the gargoyles and stone and everything. Right. I think it is Shandor. It's, it's, it's beautiful, like the whole film, like it, it has like New York as one of the main characters, the way that it's filmed, the special effects even look good in black and white, which you'd be like, really? It's like, it, it's, it's, Todd, I kind of want to. I want to do this. I want to see. This. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it. It's 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 like Ray Stance and uh, uh, Egon Spengler come off as like more of kind of like the heroes of it, and everything because you have to read all the dialogue. The jokes don't quite hit as well, but like the stuff about terror and the stuff about like the Lovecraftian horror of it all, kind of like takes center stage i love that and then there are some humorous parts like the stay puff marshmallow man does come off as like just like still just like this 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 humorous accident that they then have to deal with but it's 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 hard to describe i haven't done it with ghostbusters 2 but ghostbusters in black and white with german or french subtitles um i initially did it with french because I was wondering what it was like, and then I did it in German. It's even more serious sounding, and I would I would imagine German would sound more yeah. serious than anything with. <laughs> yeah, but it's you know, it's so. it's it's like, man, this could be a Fritz Lang movie. This is this is intense. <laughs> you know the the mat work that they do in that film, especially when you know the sky opens up yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah. And this is not planned. We did not, and I intentionally told both these guys. I don't want to know what movies you're going to talk about because I kind of want to be surprised to myself. I did write down. Do you, do you see? I want to want, want proof. You see MTHOF 1966? Yes. Yeah, so uh, there is a movie that I have taken. Uh, I've turned it black and white, and I've shown it on my, my stream. I have a Twitch channel that I will show monster movies on. Uh, I've taken this movie that most people consider the worst movie ever made, more so than Plan 9. Um, turning it in black and white, and it suddenly makes it feel so much more serious and dark and scary. And that movie is Manos, the Hands of Fate. Um, I'd like to take credit for being the first person to put it on black and white on the internet. Many people have done it since. Uh, I did it several years ago. And I, I kid you not, you watch that movie in black and white, it is scary and creepy and inappropriate in spots. I know that this movie gets a lot of ridicule it gets riffed all the time um i i'm not normally a an mst3k kind of guy but i do agree with some of the jokes that every frame of mono sahans if it looks like it's the last known piece of footage of those people uh is that before they were never seen again it it really does have a near snuff film like quality to a lot of it it was made by somebody who had never made a movie before his previous job his current job was fertilizer salesman and we all know where fertilizer comes from um, the, the audio, the dialogue is all recorded by two people in a studio after the fact, cause they didn't shoot sound on set, but they didn't really tell all the actors and actresses they would be doing that. So when they showed up for the premiere and hear somebody else's voice coming out of their mouths, I'm sure that was quite a shock, especially for the little girl who had no idea what was going on. Uh, the only people that really got paid on that set, uh, was like the dog who got paid dog food and the little girl who got a new bike. Um, it's, it's a low budget movie that has no right to exist. I love it so much. 
Unironically, I watched that movie straight so much so that in May on my podcast, I'm devoting an entire month to Manos the Hands of Fate. It will be Manos the Hands of Fate, the month of May. I've never shown it to my fiance. I am wisely waiting until after we're married to show it to her. Good um, that That is the plan. Um, but seriously, it's, on black, it's in black and white on YouTube right now. I don't know who's hosting it these days. I'm going to show it a few more times myself, I'm sure, on my Twitch channel. But yeah, it is it is creepy, and there are some Lovecraftian cosmic horror-type things happening in this thing. We're talking about an old god named Manos who demands, well, who knows what, but <laughs> it's not nice, and it involves women and little girls. So there's some pretty creepy, scary things happening. Torgo's gross, too. Torgo... Torgo, I love Torgo so much. Torgo was supposed to be what a satyr. Yeah, yeah. he he was wearing these weird contraptions in his pants to make his legs look like goat legs. Mm -hmm. But the filmmakers incompetently never really show us that outside of maybe one minute, one moment where he's clearly stumbling from a porch to a car. But God, I love that movie. I love it. Yeah. Did I lose your respect? <laughs> no, no, no. It's. It's a fine movie. So, it's a so fine one movie. thing you absolutely, your mileage may vary absolutely <laughs> in uh, classic monster movies. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. Yeah, some people I know won't watch it unless it's uh, being made fun of by some robots. Um, to be fair, if I can interject there, yeah. some of the people that have been on my podcast in the past, people that I consider dear, dear friends, have credited Mystery Science Theater 3000 and things like that for introducing them to these movies. Uh, first place I came across. Same. And, and they will go back and watch the movies, quote unquote, straight and love them just as much, if not more. So I, as much as it's not my cup of tea most of the time, mm -hmm. I got to give respect for that. I, I believe everything is better with smart astronaut remarks. Yes. You know, shopping in the mall, you know, <laughs> watching television. Because, you know, I'm a strong believer in Sturgeon's Law. 90% of everything's crap. You know what? That's okay. Find that 9% of the 90% that is crap, but enjoyable crap. It, it goes back to what I say on the show. It, if you enjoy the movie, it's a good movie. Yeah. It, whether it's so bad it's good or, you know, I know I don't believe in guilty pleasures. If you enjoy it, own it. You know, only bad movies are boring. Yeah, the only bad movies are the boring ones that so waste your time. Yeah. You know, so there's that. Um, and I will credit MST3K for making sure Manos exists in its form today. Yeah. It wouldn't be out there if they hadn't found it and made fun of it. Yeah. So it wouldn't be a household name. No, no. And I, I still want a master. <laughs> your, your household <laughs> I, I want a robe. I want. A, mon a master robe. Yeah. Uh, the little girl has grown up, and she's an artist in Oregon now. Uh, Jackie, Ray Naaman Jones. Um, and there has been a kind of sort of official sequel in which she stars, as does the mother from the movie and the original master, called Manos Returns. It was produced a few years ago here in the Oregon area. Um, and so it's got legs, man. We are at 5... 40. I think at 5.50 they want us to start clearing out. I know we've got a huge crowd. Um, thank you for sticking it out. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Uh, any questions or, or anything? Yes! What horror movie made me fall in love with the genre? Or these guys? Or all, I mean, obviously all of us. 
Night of the Living Dead. 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 What about you, man? Uh, Frankenstein. And, and because, you know, growing up in the L.A. market before cable, you know, they would broadcast these. And it's a great movie. Classic movie. Deserved to be on this list, but I figured most people knew it. But it's because I watched it with my family as a child. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned this in a previous panel. Uh, you uh, this gentleman's panel. He's got another podcast himself that I recommend. Um, but um, I grew up not being able to watch these movies. My parents were very, you know, no R-rated movies, no scary movies. It's going to ruin you. But if the movies were in black and white, it was okay. They were deemed safe somehow. Uh, so through exploring certain books in the kids section of the library or whatever, I became aware of the classic monsters. But the first one that I saw that hooked me was Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. That was the one that grabbed me and made me a lifelong fan. I, I knew what Frankenstein was and the Wolfman and all that because I had read about him in these kids' books published by Crestwood House, uh, which I'd love to get a complete run of today just for the collectability of them. I have a handful, but I won't quote them all. Um, but yeah, I've been impressed to sell off me Frankenstein. It's the one that grabbed me. Literally. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. I'm a What's your show? Hellbent for Horror? Check out Hellbent for Horror. Monster Kid Radio recommends. One last thing I wanted to bring up is uh, I almost I almost uh, did Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. Cause, I almost did too. Yeah. Really? Oh. And it, I, the, the last time I saw it was with you when they showed yeah. it at the, uh, the, the uh, Portland uh, Art Museum. Yeah. yeah. The, the isolation in it. Yeah. The isolation, that and... I love Sura, uh, Tora Satana. I yes. have a goat named Tora Satana. But I mean, like, um, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill is only a few steps away from the hills have eyes, in my opinion. Yeah. And it's just man's inhumanity to man and, like, isolated weirdness. So good. It's yeah, so that, good. that came very close to making my list. Yeah. So, um, and I don't know why my... Yeah, go ahead. Favorite off brand, uh, I guess, deep cut... Monster. Mine is uh, favorite off-brand or deep cut monster. Fiend without a face. Oh, that's good. Yeah, stop motion control. Oh, it looks so good. Um, for me, uh, I would probably say something like the monster of Piedras Blancas. I'm a big fan of monster of Piedras Blancas, and, and probably because it's kind of sort of related to the creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, but I love the monster of Piedras Blancas. Um, that's a big one for me. Also. The Brain Eaters, which uh, has a young Leonard Nimoy in it. Uh, no, no, the Brain Eaters, they're these. And I actually have one at home that a special effects artist made for me using the original materials. It's basically a wind-up toy covered in, like, fur with some pipe cleaner antennas. Uh, and I just... I. They are, it's a scary movie. It's really good. And I love those little monsters. I have two. The Tinglers. Yeah. Which almost made my list, too. Yeah. And Reptilicus. <laughs> Scandinavian kaiju. Yes. So good. What about you? You got any? Um, Astro Zombie. Yes. Roman. Yeah. The Astro yeah. Zombies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how many other was also song titles we can name. <laughs> yeah, Terrence Tatum's in the Astro Zombies too. You're right. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's good. 
Uh, one, one more movie I want to mention real quick, and I don't know why it popped into my head when you were talking about Faster Pussycat. Um, there's a film, this is not on my list, but it, it's on my way there, called Ega, uh, starring Arch Hall Jr. and Richard Keel, who played Jaws in the James Bond movies. Um, it's a fun movie, but if you look at another movie that Arch Hall Jr. did called The Sadist, complete 180 degrees from Ega. And it is, it is terrifying. It, it really is. It's, it's a psychopath. Have you seen the Ray Dennis box set yet? I, uh, God, I want it so bad. Yeah, um, but the sadist, uh, Archhold Jr., his, he was a musician. Um, he was uh, two or three steps removed from maybe being a heartthrob uh, type. I mean, he, he was really kind of into all this you know, he was there. He had the hair. He had the you know the dune buggy. He had the guitar. He could do his thing, but but dude, he is vicious. You put a pistol in his hand and tell him he's a psychopath. It is horrifying. Technically, I'm seven steps away from a heartthrob. <laughs> I two steps away from heart. There you go. There you go. But the sadist, highly recommend that one. I've shown that on my movies channel, my Twitch stream once. And it unnerved people. I, I like, I can't, I'm sorry. I mean, it's a good movie. I hope you enjoy it. I guess I won't show it again because, yeah. So would not know what year it was back. Yeah, it is timeless. That's, that's a really good reason why I would recommend it. Yeah. Uh, Rita DeSeckler, you mentioned. I love Rita DeSeckler so much. Cash Flag. Rat Finka Boo Boo is one of my favorite. I hate to say it because I just said a second ago I don't use the term guilty pleasures. Uh, I like Red Finger Boo Boo a lot. Oh, yeah, Red Finger Boo Boo is awesome. <laughs> but uh, we we haven't been kicked out yet. But we got a couple minutes before the next panel needs to load in. Um, Cthulhu's Guide to the No to the People's, People Mythos. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. The Everywhere guide. you find your podcasts, and some places that you don't. And where are you tabling? Where are you at them? Oh, I am at uh, booth 1133, right across from Christopher Lloyd. I've got all kinds of Star Wars stuff, uh, some Lovecraft t-shirts. Guitars. Guitars. And, uh, yeah, I've been here all weekend, and I'm about to fall asleep. Me too. <laughs> and you're kind of wandering and helping out and yeah. having a good time. Uh, at Cthulhu, I'm in comics, 11.30 tomorrow. Yep, yep. Excellent, excellent. Uh, tomorrow I am joining a writer's podcast, and then uh, I'm doing a presentation on superhero prose because I am launching a superhero novel this weekend called On the Backburner. I'm in Author's Alley, and I would love to talk to you about classic monster movies, superhero prose, zombie stuff, monster hunter stuff, or just hang out, because people are my people. Yeah. That's it. That's the end of the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of a podcast audience that, and I, and I say this, and it may sound like I'm coming off kind of flippant or whatever, but I'm not. I truly mean this. Monster Kid Radio listeners are the best podcast listeners in the world. Y'all are great. Y'all are fantastic. I love y'all. I really do. And I look forward to meeting you at future events and future festivals and conventions, film screenings, whatever it happens to be. I just, I love hanging out with you. But in lieu of hanging out with you, I love chatting with you here on the podcast. So thank you for being part of the Monster Kid Radio experience for me. I kind of know what y'all get out of it, but what I get out of it, it's just knowing that, you know, 
we have a place to talk about our favorite topic, that topic being classic monster movies. So thank you for being here. And, you know, bonus, if you interact with us online, through Facebook, we have a page and a group, on Twitter, on Discord, on Reddit, on Patreon, wherever it is you interact with Monster Kid Radio, or promote by sharing links and retweeting posts and all that other stuff, wherever it is you do that, thank you. I appreciate you. I really do. And when you're recommending Monster Kid Radio to people, send them to monsterkidradio.net because this is where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio, including our contact information. I know I went over it earlier. I'm going to go over it again. Monsterkidradio at gmail.com or you can leave a voicemail. 360-524-2484. The voicemail does have a three-minute limit. So if you do call and leave a longer than three-minute voicemail, that's okay. Call back, continue your message, and then I, through the power of editing, will make it sound like one long conversation. And uh, yeah, we fine. I got your back. I got you covered. We're a team here. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, all of our information is over there, including mention of what we're going to be talking about next. And guess what? I actually know this time. I know that uh, for several weeks, if not months, it's been difficult for me to get things scheduled the way that I want ahead of time so I can announce what's coming up next. Well, I am proud to say I can tell you right now what's coming up next. Next week, we're going to be talking about the movie The Amazing Colossal Man with friend of the show, Joel Schultz. I'm currently scheduled to talk with him about that movie in the next couple of days. We're going to be sharing that with you on the next episode of Monster Kid Radio, and it's it's kind of timely because, unfortunately, we just lost Mr. Big, the man who directed and produced that movie. We just lost Bert I. Gordon. At the age of 100, the man has passed on, and rest in peace, Mr. Gordon. I did meet him once, at least once, at a Monster Bash, that he was still willing to go to Monster Bash at his advanced stage, and well, that was just fantastic. Uh, and he was always kind, he was always friendly, and he was always willing to share a story or two with us fans. So, Mr. Gordon, thank you so much for everything that you've given us Monster Kids, and this Monster Kid in particular, over the years, through your incredible movies. My favorite of yours happens to be Earth vs. Spider. But just, I, I love them, and uh, I guess I appreciate everything that you did for us. So, rest in peace, Mr. Gordon. In honor of the man, we'll be talking about The Amazing Colossal Man next week with Joseph Schultz. So Joe and I will be breaking that movie down and talking about it a little bit. And it should be fun. Joe comes from a special effects background, so I'm sure that's going to come up. I'll talk a little bit about the movie itself and what I thought about it the first time I saw it. It'll be a fun conversation. It'll be good. So I'm looking forward to that. I can also tell you that I've got some other things in the works for future episodes of MKR. So just make sure you come back because I'll make sure that I announce to you what's coming up on future episodes. Plus, Steve Turek has offered to do some guest spots for me as I get ready for the wedding or deal with the aftermath of the wedding. Boy, that sounded a lot worse than I meant it to, but I think you understand. I hope you understand what I mean. Uh, but Steve Turek has some recordings either in the can or scheduled as well. So between what I've got scheduled over the next week and a half and what he's got coming up, we're going to have consistent Monster Kid Radio, even if I am busy with the whole wedding thing. Next week, I'll probably post a link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net to some information about the wedding. I have had some people ask me about a wedding registry. There is one. I'll post it next week in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. So stay tuned for that. Also in the show notes, starting this week, you'll see a new link for something called Team Death. That's team, as it sounds, T-E-A-M, 
Death, though, is spelled D-E-T-H. Team Death, among other things, is the name of a brand new YouTube channel that Beth and I are launching. Yes, I know, I know, I have a habit of starting new YouTube channels and then abandoning them and that sort of thing. But this time, it's different because I got Beth as the most supportive partner I've ever had backing me up here. Uh, Beth and I have some big YouTube plans, some big things in the works, and the Team Death YouTube channel is part of it. Now, as of this recording, there's only one video there because we just launched it. And if you follow me on Facebook and Twitter, you may have seen me post a link to the first video we did, which is the first in a series that I'm calling Monster Kid X. I'm a Monster Kid. I'm a member of Generation X. I'm Monster Kid X. And when Mr. Browning passed, I posted a video kind of talking about what that meant to me and what he meant to me in that sort of thing. I'm Mr. Rico Browning from the Creature from the Black Lagoon films, unfortunately, passed not too long ago. Rest in peace, sir. Anyway, we did a Monster Kid X video, posted that, and over the next couple of days, I'll be posting another video as well. And then we've got some other series coming up for the Team Death YouTube channel. Look up Team Death on YouTube. There might be a couple that come up, but if you're looking at the one that has the two coffins in the shape of a heart, that's us. So please give us a like and a subscription and all that other stuff you do over on YouTube and stay tuned over there. Uh, I'm actually going to be posting a YouTube video to that channel. I'm not sure what the series will be called yet, but I'm going to go see the new Scream movie uh, probably tomorrow night. And if I have my way, I'll be recording a short little YouTube video about it pretty much right after I see it. That, that's the plan. So. so that's what Team Death is. There's a lot of other things happening in the world of Team Death. Stay tuned for that. Monster Kid Radio isn't going anywhere, though. It's going to be right here next week for you in about seven days. Come back for the episode with Joe Schultz talking about the amazing Colossal Man. Until then, please remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 Unported License. Of course, the song Speed of Dark is copyright 2023. The band Polo Del Mar. It's from their album Speed of Dark. You can find them at polosurf.com or polodelmarsurf.bandcamp.com and go check out the album. It drops on March 10th. On March 25th, they're having a record release show at the Art Boutique in San Jose. If you're in the area, drop by. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.